You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. We're going to read a quick portion of scripture from Genesis and then a short portion of scripture from the end of John's gospel. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work. Everybody say finished. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He worked on the seventh day. And he rested on the seventh day. Did he finish his work or did he rest? That is the question. He rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. John chapter 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, like God from Genesis 2, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are here in your house and as your house this morning. We ask that you would hover over this room, anoint me to make preaching very easy today, and anoint your people to make hearing your word a Sabbath delight. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. It is what we call ordinary time. And ordinary time for Pentecostal Christians is not ordinary until Pentecost happens first. And once the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, then and only then is life ordinary, which means that ordinary life is life in the Spirit of God. It's not ordinary if we're not open to and walking with the Holy Spirit. Amen? On the day of Pentecost, we focus so heavily on the the speaking. They spoke in tongues. And the church has spent 2,000 plus years debating what that means. Was it angelic tongues? Was it the tongues of other languages? Were the people who heard those tongues hearing angelic languages but immediately interpreting it in their own mind through the Spirit into the tongue they spoke? What is the initial evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Is it speaking in tongues? And if it is, what kind of speaking in tongues is it? And how do we tell the people who don't do those things that they're not filled with the Holy Spirit yet? What if the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit is that we hear in tongues? We always skip over the part that says, and they heard people speaking and glorifying God in their own language. How many know that what goes on in our head without noise usually comes out of our mouth with a lot of noise? Am I the only one who has noise in my head and it comes out as noise out of my mouth? If we learned, as our current Pope said on Pentecost Sunday, church, learn to think in tongues. It's an encouraging thing to hear him say. If we learn to think in tongues and learn to hear in tongues, maybe what comes out of our mouth would be more than just noise. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, if we learn to listen prophetically, we'd be more economical with our words, like people who are economical with their money. Imagine what you say is equated to spending money. How in debt are some of us for spending way too much? with our mouth. They heard the sound of people glorifying God. My question for the rest of the summer is, do we have the quiet stillness in our own mind to hear the Spirit glorifying God? Or are we so busy we don't have time to listen, and are we so talkative we don't have time to listen or to hear? Sabbath is taking delight. We cannot take delight in God if we're not hearing him. Faith comes by. Peter chops somebody's ear off trying to defend Jesus, and Jesus puts the ear back on because hearing leads to speaking. If I can't hear God, I won't be able to speak well of him. 
And so Pentecost is about speaking. You know I think it's about speaking. We should have a prayer language. But Pentecost is also about hearing. Some of us hear good reports, but we're so pessimistic, we hear it as something negative. Or we hear a good report of somebody else, and all we hear is what we don't have. If we learn to hear through the servitude of Christ, if we learn to hear through the the servant cruciform heart of Christ, we may actually start to hear bad things but see the gospel in it. Can you imagine if a group of people called Christians were able to witness to the resurrection in what everybody else thought was not resurrection? Isn't that where our testimony comes in? Salem, you're going to have to help me out. We have a long way to go today. Ironically, speaking about rest, we have a lot of work to do today. But apparently God works on the seventh day also. Let's talk about that for a minute. What I want to do is I want to preach a summer series called Let There Be Rest. And I want to talk about the seven days of creation next to the seven signs of Jesus in John's gospel. The book of Genesis begins with the words, what does it say? How does it start? In the beginning. And how does John's gospel start? It's on the screen for you. Is it up there? Oh, it wasn't. You guys are geniuses. I thought it was up there already. Acts is Luke part two. The gospel of John is Genesis part two. The gospel of John is John talking about how Jesus is really everything that happened in Genesis. After all, Jesus said in the book of Revelation, my name is Alpha and Omega. I'm beginning and I'm end. And so Jesus is at the beginning of our Bible and he's at the culminating event of the Bible, the gospel. The six days of creation all end with, and the evening and the morning were the first or second or third or fourth day. But the seventh day of creation, the day of rest begins, but it doesn't end. There is no morning and evening on the day of rest. This is peculiar to us. What I want to do all summer is I want to talk about every day of creation and connect it to that corresponding sign of Jesus in John's gospel. Because what's happening is in Genesis, we see the way work was meant to be, the first six days of creation. In Genesis, we see what work was meant to be. For the rest of the Bible, we see how work does nothing but burn us out. But then in Jesus, we see a reworking of what work was meant to be, and we see a healing for our fatigue and our burnt outness and our tiredness and our annoyance and our grumpiness and our hangriness and our propensity to complain and how we don't need a preacher to get us to say nasty things to people when we're mad, but we need a worship leader to tell us to say wonderful things to God when he does blessings for us. It's easier for us to complain. Can I get a witness from somebody honest in the room? It's easier to sit on the couch and eat Doritos than it is to go jogging. My in-laws took me hiking. Let me, let me rephrase. They didn't take me hiking. They captured me and made me go hiking. I think it was originally my idea. I wasn't expecting my father-in-law to say yes. Originally, my wife laughed at me. I'm like, why don't we stay an extra night where we're going, and then on Friday we can go hiking, thinking he would say no. And he said yes. And it was like 167,000 degrees that day. And we had Sophia with us. And we hiked three hours from our house. So it was a comfortable ride home for me. I sweat in the winter. But I went hiking. I did. I complained a lot. It's easier to complain, and apparently it's easier to take selfies too than it is to actually enjoy creation. But that's a whole nother. There are people who are risking their life on a cliff to get the right picture. Like, I'm seeing men and women do it. I'm looking at the men like, dude, you do not contemplate as much as it's going to look like you do in this picture. And ladies, there's no way you wore that much makeup to go hiking the day after the 4th of July in 112 degree weather. Like, but I digress. We're not talking about hiking. Today we're going to talk about the seventh day of creation. And then for the rest of the summer, we're going to talk about how the Sabbath speaks to all the six days of creation. What does the Sabbath have to say for all the kinds of work that we undertake in our life? How do we work and rest at the same time? And so it starts with this phrase. The Sabbath delivers us from time for God by delivering God to time for us. 
The Sabbath delivers us from time for God by delivering God to time for us. The seventh day of creation is the Sabbath, and the seventh sign in John's gospel is Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. Jesus on the cross is delivering us from something. Jesus on the cross is the new Moses delivering us from a type of Pharaoh. And today I want to suggest that the Pharaoh that wreaks havoc over our life, the Pharaoh that enslaves us is time. How many have said so far this year, my oh my, the year is going fast. How many at other times when you want time to go fast have said, my oh my, that clock will not move today. Have you ever been in a situation where you're rather entertained and it goes far too fast, like your lunch break at work? It feels like one minute, you wish it was three hours, and it goes so fast. And then other times, like being in an elevator with other people, you wish the elevator would hurry up and time would go faster, and it seems like it doesn't ever move, especially when you're in the elevator with me, because I like to face the opposite direction when I get into the elevator and make it weird for everybody. Why do we turn around from each other and just stare at the door? Walk into an elevator and don't turn around. (laughs) Give it a shot. And don't go right for the wall. Stand in the middle. There's times we want time to slow down and there's times we want it to speed up. And how many know time never does what's productive for us? It never does what's productive for us. Time always takes, it never gives because time is a fallen creature. And we're all under the tyranny of time. But let's talk about God on the seventh day first. It says on the seventh day, God finished his work. He finished his work by resting. His finishing move was to stop doing things. The way he completed his work is by stopping work. This is completely foreign to us because the way we rest is by finishing our work. But the way God rests is by stopping his work. His completion is rest. Our completion is finishing work. His completion is just stopping. There are six days of creation and then a seventh day that lasts longer than all the other days of work because God wants us to know here under the tyranny of Pharaoh's kingdom, this tyranny of productivity, and you're only as good to your job as productive as you are, and you're only as good to your friends as you are productive, and sometimes you're only as good to your spouse as you are productive, and sometimes you're only as good to your kids as you are productive, and, some, and I could keep going. In the tyranny of productivity, God wants us to know, I'll work for six days, but then I stop because I'm not a God of endless production. I'm a God also of of being unproductive. I'm a God who's okay not producing anymore. I'm a God who's okay just stopping. And so his finishing act, the work he does on the Sabbath, is to rest. But he doesn't rest before he creates us. He rests with us because his rest is taking delight in you. He doesn't rest after day four. He doesn't rest midweek. He waits until you're created to then rest because his rest isn't restful to him until he's resting with you. The way that he finishes you is by resting with you. And so to whatever extent we refuse to rest or we don't rest or we're just tyrannized by being productive, to the extent that we don't rest, we will always feel unfinished. We will always feel like we're nothing but a bunch of loose ends. We're defined by the next crisis, the next to-do list, the next thing that needs to be done. Every time I get the house clean, I come back and it's a mess. Every time I take a day off from work, I come back to two times the amount of work. Have we said this before? Work doesn't stop piling up even when we try to rest like Pharaoh. Here, you're going to make bricks. Now you need to make more bricks, but I'm not giving you the means to do it, but you still need to make the same amount of bricks without the means to make them. Now all of a sudden time is shrinking. We're losing time because of productivity. And in the middle of it, God says stop. And we say, if I stop, it keeps piling up. But God stops. He stops. Have you ever noticed The one, there's a lot of things in life that cause time to not exist for you. Have you ever had a wonderful conversation and been like, oh my God, it's been four hours? Go so fast. The closer you get to not paying attention to time, the the less time exists for you. What is the one thing we can do, and we do it every day, hopefully, that causes time to literally just disappear? It happens at night, usually. 
we go to sleep. And when you're sleeping, time cannot tyrannize you. Time evaporates. One person can be in the car, and it takes nine hours to get there, and the other person can sleep and is like, wow, man, it feels like 10 seconds. And you're done from driving for nine hours, and the nine hours felt like 18. Because the more you're wanting time to work for you, the slower it goes. And the more you're not paying attention to it, the more it doesn't exist. But isn't it funny that resting is the way to get out of time? Hold that thought. I have more. I have more for you. God rests as a sign that he is free from productivity, and we rest as fatigue from being overproductive. God doesn't rest because he's tired. He rests because he's free to stop. We rest because we're exhausted. And all our rest is is just gearing up to be exhausted again. Have we felt this before? I'm not the only one in the room. I'm not just talking about myself. We rest. And how many have said this? I need a vacation from my vacation. We don't know how to rest because all we do is we live in Pharaoh's kingdom of brick making and then we have time away and our time away is nothing but just being drained for a week and then we go back to brick making again. Something has to happen in our rest that when we go back to brick making, we start to tear down the kingdom of Pharaoh bit by bit in our life. Here's what I love. The seventh day rises, but it doesn't set. The whole narrative of scripture, after Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, God never ends the seventh day, which means the entire story from Genesis 2, 4, all the way to the end of the book of Revelation happens inside of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a door that opens, and on the seventh day, God rested, and he blessed the seventh day and made it holy and said, you will keep this day as a Sabbath to the Lord, and there's no evening or morning that ends that day. That day exists for the rest of the story of Scripture. So everything that happens, happens on the Sabbath. Adam and Eve are about to sin. Their sin happens on the Sabbath. Everything that happens for the rest of Scripture is happening inside of this day that God won't let end until he calls all of us up into that rest. And as long as we won't enter it, he will keep that day going until we all enter that rest. It is important as the church that we not only enter it ourselves, but reflect how to enter that rest. So what causes us to not enter the rest? Time. Time is a pharaoh, and productivity is the taskmaster, and we give our max effort. And here's the thing that I've realized. There are moments where I get stuck in my sermon. And around Friday, I can't figure out what it is I want to say. But I have a devotional routine in the morning. So I wake up on Saturday morning with this not done. And I'm going to do my devotional routine because that's how I rest. That's how I have solitude. That's how I take time to myself. And when I enter that time that's supposed to be my devotional, all I can think about is what's not done. And what I usually end up doing is I don't do my devotional life. I try to finish work so I can rest. And guess what I never get to? I'll never get to it because you will never be done working. We won't ever, has anybody actually ever gotten ahead to the point where there was literally nothing left to do in your entire life? It's silly. It's a joke. Only people who bear no responsibility in life whatsoever maybe get to that point. But just ask the people who have responsibility over them, and they'll tell you, no, they're not done working yet. They're just being lazy and sitting down in front of Netflix. Like, this is what, and the reality is, if I say, I, I'll, get, I'll get to this time with God as soon as I'm done with my work, I'll never get to time with God. I'll never get there. And all I can do is think about the story where Jesus finds out that his cousin Lazarus is dead and he tries to get by himself because he has a lot going on. How many can appreciate Jesus had a lot going on? And not just Lazarus, me. He had me going on on top of a family member getting murdered and Jesus is like, I just need to take some time by myself before I talk to these people. And he goes to a desolate place and it says they all followed him, which is mad annoying. I have a three-year-old who follows me that's just one person can't stand it, but she's adorable and I can stand it, but we're not adorable. So we're following Jesus like he's trying to get some grieving time. He's got bereavement time. He's trying to use it. And we all follow him to the tune of 5,000 men, not including women or children. And then after we follow him there, we're like, yo, we're hungry. 
please feed us. Can you imagine? Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. The rest of the gospel wouldn't have made it to scripture. The stuff we would have said in lesser circumstances. Feeds all of them. It says he dismisses each and every one of them. I stand out the door for 10 minutes and I'm sweating after church. And after he dismisses them, it says he goes by himself to pray. He refused to let work stop him from resting. He went there to rest early. And when he couldn't rest early, he said, fine, I'll do what I need to do, but then I'm going to rest. I'm not leaving here before I rest forces himself to. Why? Because Jesus is the Sabbath. Jesus is the seventh day walking around. The first sin in the Bible is a sin where Adam and Eve felt that their whole life comes down to their effort and it needs to be done now. Do you want to become like God? Yes. Here's a way to do it now. And Adam and Eve yield to time and they take with their own hands, they believe that I need to execute the max amount of effort now. And if you think about it, everything that burns us out is the product of us feeling like we have to do stuff in our own effort before something happens. I can't lose my job until I pay off my mortgage. That's a time thing. I need to get healed so I don't miss out on life. That's a time thing. I need to get married before I'm too old to have kids. That's a time thing. I need my kids to get better at being kids before they're adults and before I realize I didn't parent very well because all of my security and parenting is in the next thing my children do. That's a time thing. That's a time thing. I can't rest today because I know I have a horrible week ahead of me. That's a time thing. Everything that burns us out is us living under the taskmaster of time. Have you ever taken one of those delightful afternoon naps that you really shouldn't take, which is why it's so sweet? And you actually wake up feeling rested and immediately Pharaoh's there with the whip. Look what you missed for those four hours. Could have been doing this. Could have been making bricks. Even though you're better than you were, you're better at going back to work now that you're rested, but all you can do is be tyrannized by the time that you wasted or think you wasted resting. And we live under this. That's what the word mortgage means. It's mortal gauge. Mortgage is basically you're going to be paying this for a very long time. That's why I wore the shirt today that says God is good all the... Yes. Time is short. And so we feel like I can't stop working on my guilt. I can't stop working on my shame. I have to work to correct myself. I have to work to better myself. I have to work to make myself a better person. I have to execute effort to, to drive myself to the place of goodness, to outdo my past, to, to make amends for what I've done, to provide for my family, to be there for my kids. Uh, one of my friends in Tennessee said, so many of us spend so much time working to provide uh, quality life for our children, and we forget that the one quality thing they wanted, which was us, we never gave them. We live under the tyranny of time. And we're always trying to use our own effort to get through time quickly so we can get to this place that we think is going to be there one day, which is called arriving. And it just seems like every time we get the thing that we thought was going to be the thing that brings rest, it's a little disappointing when we get it. And so now we have to work through that. Time messes with us. And we can't get around it. We can't get under it. We can't get over it. We can't move from this. I'm getting older while you're staring at me right now. I'm breaking down as we speak. That's not funny. <laughs> you guys laugh at the worst stuff that I say. Like, I make good jokes and no one laughs. I make fun of myself and everyone's dying on the floor. Like, We end up fearing time so much we never sow it. And then we end up with a famine for it. We're afraid to give any of it as an offering to God, to each other, to our church, to our family, because we think of what won't be happening while we're giving that time, and we end up with a famine for time, and we end up tyrannized by it. So what does Jesus do? First of all, Jesus is what God is like. 
So when you hear about God resting on, in Genesis and God rested, what we see is God sitting back and doing nothing. But what is Jesus doing on the Sabbath? Somebody yell out some phrases. What does Jesus do on the Sabbath? He heals. Jesus is what God is doing. Jesus is always, like if somebody says, what is God doing? The answer is whatever Jesus is doing right now. That's what God is doing because Jesus is God. And he says, I don't do anything unless I see my father doing it. Yes? So Jesus is always what God is doing. And if God is resting and Jesus is healing, that means that the way God rests is to heal you. The way, what is restful to God, what brings God back to himself, which is what the Hebrew word for rest means. It means to re-self yourself. It's to gather yourself again. The way God gathers himself again is by gathering you to himself. The way God rests, the way he blesses, the way he relaxes is by healing you. It's by healing me. That's why Jesus is saying, they're saying, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, my father's always working. What does he mean when he says that? He means if you saw what my father was doing, you would call it working, but really it's healing, and to him, healing is rest. But they can't see it because even though they've been delivered from Egypt, they're still under the taskmaster called time, and they're under the pharaoh called death. So they see rest as inactivity, not Jesus saying, you know what's funny? When one of your sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath, you'll heal it. But when my sister's been hunched over with a bad back her whole life and I heal her, you get mad at me. This is what the Sabbath is. It's me healing. Why? What is the first temptation of Jesus? If you're the son of God, do something in your own effort to prove it. If you're the son of God right now, in time, turn that stone into bread. And Jesus, watch what he says. He essentially quotes the Sabbath. He says, man does not live by productivity alone. If I did that, I'd be producing. Do we see that? If I did that, I'd be working. If I did that, I would be doing something to prove myself. But man does not live by productivity alone. But by what? But by every word that God speaks toward him, which means the Sabbath is about ceasing from self-work and letting God work on us together. The Sabbath is about stopping long enough to realize God is trying to heal you. And when we can't stop working, we resist the healing. When we can't slow down to let God work on us, what we're saying is we're saying we're Adam and Eve. We are going to heal ourselves through our productivity. We're going to heal ourselves by never being able to settle down. I'm going to work through my own guilt. I'm going to get my own relationship. I'm going to find a way to have the kids I never had. I'm going to get to this. But Jesus is the answer to all of those things. But we can't get it if we don't slow down. And he says he's Lord of the Sabbath, which means we have to come under an authority to slow down. Because if there is no authority telling us to, we won't. If you're here and you can't slow down, I have good news for you by the end of the message. Some of us have a mental illness. And we're we're never going to be fully settled. Some of us have to work 55 hours a week just to make ends meet. Forget vacations and lake houses and trips to hike. Mm, Little tension now. Some of us can't Sabbath. Some of us can. And the some of us who can't need the some of us who can. Because the rich should always be giving to the poor. And so if I got time, I need to give it to people who don't. Well, what, are you saying you can give me vacation time that my boss isn't? No, here's what I can do. I can maybe show up to one of my friend's jobs who has to work a crazier job than I do and maybe bring him lunch just to let him know there is some peace out there. If I know my buddy always goes to this place for lunch at the same time and he's having a hard time in his life, maybe next time he gets there, I'll be there because I can take time and just say, how are you? I said I was going to get to it. I'll get to the next part of that in a minute. Jesus shows up, and what does Jesus start to say? What is our tyranny? Our tyranny is time. Time is the thing that's telling us we can't, but we have to try too hard. Time is telling us give the max effort now, because the minute you, the minute you slow down the max effort, time is going to catch up to you, and you're going to be a failure. That's what time is always saying. And what does Jesus say? All throughout John's gospel, Jesus says, either my hour has not yet come or my hour has come. But notice he references the cross as his time. 
Watch what he's doing. Jesus is standing here with the world on his shoulders. And he knows that death is coming in a way that we will never know death is coming. We could be told we got three days to live and we won't know death is coming the way that Jesus knew death was coming. And knowing that it's coming, knowing that Jesus can say, my hour is coming, my time is at hand, this is the time and the power of darkness, yet notice Jesus never hurries. The priests of old called it the unhurried life. He doesn't rush. He doesn't run. He doesn't shut the woman with the issue of blood down like Okay, Jesus, you knew, here's what a consultant would say. When she touched you, did you know power went out from you? Yes. Did you know she got healed? Yes. Then if you knew she was healed, why'd you take time to stop? See, Jesus, this is where you have to pick up the pace. If you're going to be good with your time, if you're going to be a time manager, once you knew she got healed, you didn't need to stop and talk to her. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 you think the issue with blood stoppage was the healing. The healing was when she got to talk to me. The healing is when she saw me stop and notice her. And I got all the time in the world for that. But your hour is coming. It's going to come and it's going to pass. But I'm not going to yield to it. And watch this. He gets to the cross. And a man hanging next to him says, will you remember me? When? Time word. Will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? When I wrote what I'm about to say down on this paper, I felt not in a lever-pulling way, but in a real pastoral way, this is for somebody. This man said, will you remember me? Why? Because here he is facing the fear that we're all trying to avoid. Death has now come, and I didn't get enough done. I'm not going to be remembered for anything good. My family's not here. No one's with me. If anything, I'm going to be remembered for this moment now, what I did wrong. I'm not going to leave a legacy. I'm not going to leave fruit behind. I'm not going to leave an inheritance behind. No one is here to remember me, so I'm looking at this last-ditch moment to say, will you remember me? And Jesus uses a better, he says, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus uses the best time word. He says, today. You think you've amounted to nothing, but today you've amounted to something. You think no one will remember you, but today everybody's going to remember you. You think that you failed your family, but today you're going to enter the real family. Today, right now, while you're on a cross. I'll tell it to you in a better way. It is July, which means it's time for me to start, stop, start talking about Christmas. Christmas in July is a thing. One of my favorite Christmas mornings was what I call the great Sega Genesis Christmas morning. I was one of those kids that had, I was like a video game system behind. So I was playing Nintendo, and my cousin was playing Sega Genesis, and I really wanted Sega Genesis. I really wanted it. And being an economical person, I realized, you know what, if, you know, you could get two Nintendo games for the price of a Sega game, so I'm going to have more games. That was the way I rationalized it. And so Christmas morning came, listen very carefully to this, Christmas morning came, and I opened up my first video game, and it was a Sega Genesis game. Like, Santa obviously doesn't know as much as we say and singing the songs that he knows, because I don't have Sega Genesis. So I open another one, another Sega Genesis game, and one more. Three Sega Genesis games I open. I don't have Sega Genesis. I have Nintendo with two buttons, not three. I have Nintendo, and I can't play any of these games. I'm opening up games on Christmas morning that I cannot use. But here's what I say to myself. I can take them back, and I can get six Nintendo games. That's why the church's finances are doing better, because I've been doing this my whole entire life. (laughs) Six games. I'm having all of this consternation inside of me, and my mom and dad are perfectly still. 
They're at rest. Watch this. They're at rest watching me open the wrong games. Why? Because they know what's behind the couch, and I don't know what's behind the couch. And after everybody's done, and my dumb sisters are done screaming and yelling and going crazy and stealing each other's gifts, they finally say, there's one more. I think, I think somebody left something for you behind the couch. And I pull out this little square package. I take one rip through the center of it, and I see the Sega Genesis logo, and I throw it into the air and almost broke it. My parents were at rest because they knew every wrong decision I thought I was opening, there was a gift that was coming that was going to make it all make sense. My parents watched me think I was making the wrong decisions, and they knew a gift was coming that would make everything I thought was the wrong decision make sense. And they were at rest. Why can God rest? Because every time we open a package and we think, I did it again, another wrong decision, where is my life going? God knows, I have a gift coming for you. And when Jesus comes and redeems time, everything is going to make sense. And he's always resting, knowing what's going on, because he knows that the gift that is coming is better than the things that seem bad right now. And he's always at rest in this moment. And he's offering us this rest. We learn because of the work of Christ. Jesus, when he raises from the dead, tells the disciples to go fishing. And they bring fish. And Jesus says, bring some fish to me that you caught so we can eat together. And when they get there, he's already got fish on the grill. Look at this. This is why we can rest everyone. Because if they brought nothing to the grill, they would still sit down and eat. Your effort matters, but it's not determinative. Because if you brought nothing but a broken fishing net, you're still going to eat because he's got enough that can survive all of our broken effort. We don't, listen, listen to me, listen to me. We don't work so that. We work because of. Write that down. We don't work so that. We don't try hard in our lives so that we could be right with God. We don't try hard so that we could get blessed. We don't work hard so that we could be a fulfilled person. We don't get married so that we could live the life we've always wanted. We do everything we do because of. I work because God gave me the grace to do it today. I try hard because God gave me the grace to have effort. I believe hard because God gave me the grace to have faith. I love because God gave me love that I can then use to love. Jesus is the fish that some of you are trying to catch that you'll never catch. He's the son that you all wish you had. He's the spouse that you've been longing for. Jesus is the job that you thought would fulfill you. Jesus is everything that you could ever possibly want, and he's all yours which means all of your work is just to say thank you, not to try to get anything. You're not defined by how good you are at your job. You're not defined by how moral you are. You're defined by the love of Christ, and his love is so strong that it makes me want to be moral, not so I can be good, but to say thank you that you love me as if I'm good even when I'm not. That's where rest comes from. Even if I bring nothing at the end of my life to the grill, I'm still going to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We got to tell people that. Okay, pastor, well, that sounds good, but here's the thing. Some people can't rest. My favorite miracle on the Sabbath. Jesus, there's a man who's been born lame since birth. Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. Everybody knows him. I went to Sight and Sound in Lancaster and they show the, they, they play the story of Jesus. And I love this one part. There's a man who's lame and he finally gets healed. We all know the story. And at one point he shows up to the Pharisees and he says, you're the one who never gave me money. I love that line so much. You're the one who always walked by me. And now I'm standing in the temple. He's lame. Everybody knows him. And now he's walking around in the temple healed. And what do they fixate on? What is he holding? He's holding his mat. What day is it? 
It's the Sabbath. This is awful. How pessimistic. Anybody know anybody like that? Like, I just got healed. And you're upset that I'm carrying around my mat? I'd be like, yo, why don't you take my mat and lay on it now? I'm going to skip on out of here and never come back. Like, but who told him to take his mat? Watch. Some of us, some of us have a greater ability to rest than others do. In this room right now, some of you can't rest. Some of you can. Here's what Jesus says. Until I come back and finish the seventh day, when you get healed, when you have the space to be on a mat until I come and heal you, when you get healed, pick up your rest and bring it to work with you. Take it. Carry it. Rest is not a day off thing. It's a day on thing. Rest isn't about not working. It's about bringing this peace that passes all understanding with us to people who can't have it. He carried his mat around. And for some people, when they saw the mat, they said, oh, my God, if God can do that for you, he can do it for me. When other people saw the mat, they said, oh, my gosh, you're breaking rules. And there will always be people like that. But our job is to just show them the mat, to bring our rest wherever we go. Rest isn't about a day off Saturday and then we're back to work on Monday. Rest is about being in the storm. The work is the Sabbath. The burnout is the tyranny of time. Jesus' work gives us a new relation to time. And now we can be delivered from time, free from time for God. Here's the thing. I leave you with this. In order for you to rest, even if it's five minutes, even if it's for three hours, even if it's for 30 seconds, when you go to rest, because we're overworked, things will not get done that should get done. And I'm telling you as your pastor, let it happen. Because things will get done even if you don't rest. Things won't get done even if you do rest and you don't rest. I could work my whole life and things aren't going to get done. So I'm going to rest. Well, it's going to pile up, but I'm going to be different when I go back to the pile. Burnt out me can't handle a pile. Burnt out me can't handle one thing. Rested, been with Jesus, been touched by the Holy Spirit, me can handle a pile like this. The difference isn't going to be your work. The difference is going to be you. So get time alone with God this summer. And like I said, five minutes, he can do a lot with a mustard seed. He can do a lot with one fish and two loaves or however many it was. But take some time. You're not defined by your effort. You're not defined by your productivity. You're defined by the God who's desperately wanting to stop with you and heal you so you can take up your mat and go to where other people have mats and bring that healing. What does it matter if we work so hard, get so many things done, and end with no friends? And end with no one remembering us. What does it matter if I work, put so many hours in the office to make Salem as healthy as I could be, but I don't talk to Sophia? She always hears this phrase, I'm going to work. What does it matter? What matters is if we taste and see that the Lord is good, but we have to stop. Some of you can stop for a month if you want to. Good for you. Please come talk to me. Some of you can only stop for seconds, but I promise you, what, if all you got is the widow's mites, pour it in. Pour it in. Give him whatever you can because there's fish on the grill for you anyway. Give him what you can. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. I was convicted this week because sometimes I don't do the Eucharist liturgy because we're running out of time. And then I thought to myself, 
it's not an easy message to explain. I might run out of time. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no matter what, you're going to do the liturgy together. All the prayers. Why? Because we can't hurry. The ladies have been playing the World Cup for a half hour now. Some of us are home watching it, it looks like. Let's not hurry. Let's be slow together for a minute. The end of the service. There's time where it's good to follow the leading of the Spirit. And right now I'm following the leading of the Spirit and it's slowing down. I feel all the tension in my spirit right now. Listen, my wife can attest to this. I had trouble this week. I overworked this message because I couldn't feel good about it and I didn't stop. And I'm feeling the conviction of it myself right now that I couldn't stop. I had to, I had to try to get it done and, and missed so much joy. I was away with my family for a couple of days and nonstop thinking about this and getting irritable because of this because I couldn't shut it off. And I realized, like, I, I need grace in front of everybody so that you all know you need grace. Because here's the thing. I think a lot of my life is easier than yours. I think some of it you don't want, any bit of it, but some of it is easier. And if I, where the church has given me the ability to take time, if I still struggle, it's telling me that some of you don't even know, you're just used to not having it. You're numb to the fact that you're burnt out. And just close your eyes for a minute, please. And be honest with yourself. It's not so much burnt out from having to work too much. It's burnt out from thinking your effort matters more than it does. And it is so scary as a pastor to say that. But what I'm saying is what God does for you is better than anything you'll ever do for him. His gift to us makes our bad mistakes turn good. It's so transcendently good but we haven't stopped to taste it in a long time. We're going to stop for a summer to taste it. Some of you don't know that 10 minutes a day just sitting in a room quietly is going to bring healing to your life that you haven't had in a long time. It's going to open stuff up. Listen, I'm going to talk for a second here. It's going to open stuff up. I was just talking to somebody in my office who said, Pastor, I finally had a few consecutive days in a row to rest. And when I got to the third one, I all of a sudden felt this need to start working again. And I said, isn't it funny that the children of Israel wanted to be delivered from slavery? And when they finally got free, all they wanted to do was go back. And sometimes when we finally get the rest that we've been longing for, we're so restless in our rest that we feel the only normal thing is I need to busy myself to distract myself from the restlessness that I feel. Because Sabbath rest is revealing yourself to you. It's showing you where you need healing. And some of us bow to the idol of busyness because that idol covers our mess from ourselves. When I'm too busy, I don't have to worry about me. And I can die in the illusion that I'm worrying about other people, but my over-busyness is really serving myself. My sister-in-law, Annie, is away for a long time in Guyana, and she's texting us all the time. She's working through things because she's been so busy for so many years, and now there's a lot less to do, and stuff is coming up. She's interacting with the Holy Spirit in ways she hasn't in a really long time. Because sometimes taking a step away from busyness just stirs up some of the sediment that's been rotting for a while. It's a gift. It's God saying, time to vomit. Let's get it out. But you're afraid to. And I'm telling you this summer, this summer you have to take time. Because God wants to bring healing to you and through you. And through you. You are the way that people are going to get healed this summer. Your life is the life that matters. But if you can't slow it down and you can't shut it off, all we will do is hoard it to ourselves. Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us. To not be afraid of what we'll see when there's no more activity to numb us. 
open us up to what needs to be called out. Open us up to what needs to be healed. Jesus, you just walked around healing people. You didn't require anything of them. That's the Sabbath. Heal us. Help us to slow down so we don't resist it. And if we know people who can't slow down, give us the heart of compassion that you had when you saw 10,000 people follow you and it said that you had compassion on them like a sheep without a shepherd. Lord, if that compassion hasn't coursed through our body in a long time, I pray that this rest will open up compassion again. That there will be more compassion than anxiety by the end of the summer. That there would be more compassion than complaining by the end of the summer. That there would be more compassion than straight fear by the end of the summer. That there would be more compassion than greed by the end of the summer. That there would be more compassion than gluttony by the end of the summer. That we wouldn't take Sabbath as me time, but we would take it as you time. And so, Holy Spirit, we slow down right now to take five or ten minutes to pray with the whole church. Because at your table is rest. Because this is your body broken for us. This is your body completely warped by time. So that we can step through that portal into a timelessness where time no longer takes from us, but it just brings us closer to hope. It just brings us closer to fulfillment. It just brings us closer to the Christmas present hiding behind the couch. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.